my god, is this weird or what? It's just me. It's just Mike. I'm all by myself. I'm always all by myself. No one's looking. I was thinking of you. So it's just me, guys. I'm all by myself. It's just Mike. And if you're wondering what the fuck sticks is going on, I'm... I'm... I go see a lot of fucking movies and me and Jay, we work our asses off on this channel. We love to go see movies together and then do those reviews together. Sometimes we just can't. Jay didn't go see Hereditary or Jurassic World and I gotta talk about Hereditary and uh, I feel like talking about Jurassic World as well. So I thought every once in a while, you know, I feel weird doing the videos. I've always felt strange about doing the videos by myself even in the past when I used to do them. But the videos are better with Jay in them. These, these things like this are better with Jay in them. But Truthfully, I, I see these movies and I watch a lot of VOD movies and, and, and I just, it's, it's, it's the piece in my week where I'm so Tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nebbia. Busy if I can find a way to get to the theater and watch a movie by myself or with someone I love, or whatever the case may be. But I've just got to talk about some of these movies with you guys. And, and, and for whatever reason, we don't get to both see them and review them. Uh, I've got these movies inside of my heart and soul, and I have got to talk about them with you. I've watched people talk about Hereditary for, for weeks, and it's driving me fucking banana sandwich. I've got to talk about it. And the same thing with Jurassic World. So, you know, just whenever there's been a movie, or maybe even two movies that, that we couldn't do together that I ended up seeing. I'm just going to throw on this, uh, I also wanted to test out this new, uh, microphone we got too. I'm going to throw on the old, the old podcast and just, and just talk shit with you guys. And I, and I hope that's cool. I hope this isn't weird for anyone. I know it's not weird for me or Jay. It's always weird not having Jay here, but you know what I mean? This, this podcast specifically is a tale of expectations. I went to go see Jurassic World and I thought it was going to be horse shit and I ended up really liking it and I have really specific reasons as to why. Even though it had some of the horseshit I expected. Hereditary I loved, but I totally get why some people don't like it. And I'll talk about each one of those things for each review. People's expectations versus reality. And I just want to lead off with this. Like, whatever you think about these movies, you're not wrong. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, okay. Get in! Okay, so Jurassic World. This is one, Jay didn't want to go see this one, and I honestly couldn't blame him, not a bit, because I didn't really have that much interest in seeing it. Matter of fact, truth be told, if my uh, eight-year-old daughter did not want to go see this movie, which she was fucking pumped about it. I mean, she, for some weird reason, and I have no idea why, I mean, she likes, you know, superhero movies and all that shit, but for some weird reason, Jurassic World, the first one, just stuck with her. Like, she wants to watch it all the time. Like, any time of day, I could be like, hey, you want to watch Jurassic World? And she'd be like, fuck yeah. Which I never do, because she wants to watch it all the time. But you get the idea. We she, And she doesn't give a shit about Jurassic Park either. Like, she thought the first one sucked and was boring. Which is, I know it's blasphemy. Please don't attack my daughter. Uh, she's wrong. And I've fully told her that she's wrong multiple times on the subject. Uh, Jurassic World is shit compared to Jurassic Park. But you have to talk about Jurassic World... Before you can talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Because the every problem Fallen Kingdom has comes from the first Jurassic Park movie. Or Jurassic World. I mean, it feels too much like it at times. And those are the times when the movie sucks. To me. Not sucks, but you know, it just isn't that great. Uh, but it's not as bad as everybody says it is. I mean, at least in my eyes. And that's what we're talking about today, right? Is perspective. Like, 
some people just cannot fucking get the idea that some people are not going to feel the way they feel about a movie. And some people are cool about it. Most people are cool about it, I feel like. My buddy Lee, uh, Drum Dums, fucking hated this movie. And I'm not going to disagree with him. He's he's right. He has just as every bit of right to be as right as he's going to be when he's right. And Lee's usually fucking right. Matter of fact, I would tell you to take his opinion over mine. Don't go see it, even though I liked it. But uh, I liked it, and I'm going to talk about why. The first one, I liked enough i think i gave it like an 8.0 or some stupid shit when it came out and we reviewed it like i don't know it just to me compared to the lost world and again with perspective you know after the lost world and whatever the fuck that third piece of shit was when years later it's rebooted and it's star lords in it and it's fucking you know it's it's a big deal everybody's really excited it's a summer movie we all went in we were happy it was cool dinosaurs it was a fun time and i felt like everybody was far more accepting of that movie and its flaws present company included uh even though it had way more problems than in my opinion even this film does but yeah i even gave it an 8.0 and the second time i watched it i was like nah you know this is kind of just fucking whatever i mean it's fine it's fun to see dinosaurs on the big screen, but the CGI bullshit doesn't even come close to comparing to the uh, to the practical effects. You, they they threw back to the other movie. It was almost a fork, a, fork, a, fork a, the Fork Awakens. It's like the Force Awakens in a weird way. Like it harkens back to the original. It makes you feel good inside. It throws the new age effects on there. Sometimes it's cool, but it, again, not even fucking in the realm of what Spielberg did with Jurassic Park. Um, but for today's standards, you get to see today's version of Jurassic Park, and it's fun. And everybody's a lot more accepting of its flaws. The second movie comes out, and everybody's got their fucking guns out, man. They're just ready to rip that shit to shreds. And it's, you know, that's it, it, just the way of the world. It's, it's, it's the honeymoon syndrome, if you will. But I went into this with absolutely no expectations. From, from every review I saw of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I thought, that's mostly what I thought about the first movie after seeing it a couple more times after the excitement fades and I and I look at it for what it is like Chris Pratt's as least likable as Chris Pratt can be he's still in that movie 10 times more likable than most of us in general life but for Chris Pratt who's like someone described him as like a a lovable human labrador or golden retriever you just can't help but fucking love the guy it it, it made him as least likable as possible for him which he still wasn't unlikable it's just for Chris Pratt, you expect him to be a lot more likable than he was. So, just, he wasn't that interesting in the movie. Uh, the whole, like, blue thing with, like, the palm out. Like, can we please stop with that? I don't know why people think it's cool. Like, he does the same fucking, like, Heisman stance. And he's like, whoa. Whoa. You better not. You better not. And it's just like, he doesn't really even do anything that cool in the movie. Yeah, there's a he's riding a motorcycle at some point. But I, all I wanted was, like a fucking Chris Pratt Indiana Jones remake. I was like, I'd rather see him be Indiana Jones. He's perfect for that rather than like, this is dinosaurs, you know? Uh, I, I just, I don't know. Chris Pratt felt underused and uh, almost unnecessary for one of my favorite actors out there in the first film. And that, a lot of that continued with this one too. Could have been just about anybody. Chris Pratt being in it makes it far more likable than it would have been otherwise even. But alas the second movie comes out and we go see it and i have no expectations that i'm sitting there in the opening scene where they go back to like i don't know what the fuck they're doing who gives a shit they're doing something there it felt so much like the original film when the storm hits and the dude's taking a dump and the dra- and then the uh, tyrannosaurus rex eats him it felt so much like that just the setting of it it was dark 
It was horrific. I felt like it was it was almost mean in in a sort of way, and I dug the shit out of that. I was like, fuck yeah, because people forget that Jurassic Park, like movies that came out back then, like in the '90s and shit. Like, yeah, sure, kids love these movies. Um, what people would call man babies today are obsessed about these movies. I don't agree with that. I'm just saying that's what some people would say when I go to Walmart in my camouflage shorts and my Jurassic Park t-shirt. They might say, there goes a giant man baby. Um, but no, our kids our age, you know, they, we fucking love that shit growing up. But it wasn't all for kids now, was it? That's what we forget. And that's what Disney forgets. And that's what Star Wars forgets. And that's what all this shit forgets is that there was some, maybe not Star Wars so much, but there was a dark edge to some of these movies. The first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? Are you fucking kidding me? That was dark as hell. I mean, if you really looked at it, it was dark as hell. And they just forget to do that these days. And Jurassic World forgot to do that. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom does it a little bit, does it just enough more to keep my interest. And they do it from the get-go. So the first scene's really fun. We got to see a, a badass uh, dinosaur, if you want to even call it that. We got to see a cool tr- trick. And it was just kind of mean. And I was like, okay, this might be a little bit different than standard fare. Um, and it was fun, you know, because you're in the theater. And this is a part of it, believe me. I think where you see it is going to make up for a lot of it. Because it's a summer tentpole movie. Like, it, it just is. So I'm sitting there, and I go in there with my daughter, and we got popcorn, and we got all the shit. Um, she bought fucking Pocky sticks for some reason. Like, I know, just get some Sour Patch Kids, but it is what it is. But we got the popcorn soda, we're sitting there, and the place is just a little raucous, man. And I'm thinking, this is the perfect summer movie. It's dinosaurs, kids are interested, and parents are just like, fuck, I can take my kids to see something semi-interesting. I don't even give a shit if this movie's good. I get to watch Chris Pratt, I get to see dinosaurs, I get some Jurassic Park throwbacks and a little bit of Jurassic Park music. And I get to get the fuck out of the house with my kids, and I don't have to see, you know, a, a shitty kids movie. So everybody's jacked, you know? And I think that's what, part of the reason why these movies do so well, and why so many people try to make PG fucking horror movies. Because they just can't let those ticket sales go. But it doesn't really work for those movies. For these movies, it does. And it felt that way. And it wasn't, you know, there were some annoying kids or whatever, but I was like, it's fucking Jurassic Park. I'm not going to need a fucking compass to get through this movie. You know, I can, I can deal with it. Uh, that shit's always annoying, but I can deal with it. It was just, I don't know, it was a fun summer atmosphere, man, that the theater was fucking packed, and it was just fun. And we had to sit a little close, so it was huge screen, great speakers, loud as hell, just a fun, fun experience. So I'm sure that contributed to how much I liked this movie. But we're sitting there, and the movie starts, the opening's great, uh, love the opening. And then we get into it, and it's kind of the same shit again. It's kind of like, okay, we have to fucking... All people want is the goddamn dinosaurs. That's all people want is the goddamn fucking dinosaurs. But we have to come up... It's like a found footage movie. We have to find some reason to break out the dinosaur dicks. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I said dicks. It just... <laughs> when I said dinosaur, I wanted to say dick. Um, but no, th- we need a reason to break out the dinosaurs. So we, as the crowd, we have to sit through some bullshit exposition... Like you do with the other movies. Just to get to the fucking dinosaurs. And the studio's fine with that because the dinosaurs are expensive to show. But we sit through it and it's the bullshit. Uh, the Jurassic World's been closed down. Dallas Bryce Howard's now a, a dino... dino what do you, what's, the, what's the mix between uh, dinosaur lover and humanitarian? Like, dinatarian. Whatever the fuck that is. For some reason, she's... She's, she's working in a campaign office, like hustling phones and <laughs> trying to save the dinosaurs. Because these volcanoes are about to go off and they're about to kill all the dinosaurs and make them extinct. And everybody else is like, fuck those dinosaurs. They're going to eat us if we get near them again. But 
She's completely changed since the first movie and, you know, trying to right her wrongs and whatever. Nobody cares. So Bryce Dallas Howard gets... You guys gotta see James Cromwell's IMDb picture, by the way. <laughs> what the fuck? That's awesome. Um, but yeah, she gets called by James Cromwell's character, uh, Lockwood, to his mansion. And she's freaking out about it. And we're like, who the fuck is that? Um, maybe some of you knew. I didn't. But uh, Rafe Spall's character, Eli, who just looks like a douche in wingtip shoes... Shows up and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm running the old man's, you know, uh, fortune for him. And uh, what we need to do is we need to go save these dinosaurs. And I need you because this isn't exactly legal. And you need to get Chris Pratt's character because he does the hand thing with the dinosaurs, the air high fives. And we need you, but we're going to go and we're going to save these these dinosaurs. So she's like, fuck yeah, this is amazing. This is all I ever wanted. He's like, we're going to take them to a safe place where they won't bother anybody. And the volcanoes and fucking lava won't eat their ass. So, uh, she meets Lockwood, who rolls down, and he's just like, the guy's a little older, but he's trying to be as old as he possibly can. You know, he's like faking that he's 70 years older than he actually is for some reason. It's weird. And he even has the little cane from the first Jurassic Park, which is kind of rad. I did dig that. And, uh, he comes down, and I won't even get into his relationship with the dude from the first Jurassic Park, because it goes into spoiler territories. Um... Pretty cool, I guess, uh, if you think about how they explain where this dude comes from. But they were friends, and uh, he had a lot to do with the first Jurassic Park movie. You just never saw him. And there's a big reason why, and they'll explain in the movie as the movie goes along. She's got to go recruit Chris Pratt, and Chris Pratt doesn't want to. And we have to go through this whole exact same scene from the first one. It's like, guys, it wasn't that good of a movie. You don't have to Force Awakens Jurassic World. It was just a couple years ago. But what they do was she has to go and she has to recruit him and he's living on a mountaintop somewhere and just being the Chris Pratt character. <laughs> I should look up his name. It's not fair that I keep calling him the Chris Pratt character. I'm sorry. Fuck me. Owen. Fucking Owen. So she, I sound like I hate this movie, don't I? She has to, go, I hate this part of the movie. She has to go and she has to go get him. And she has to, you know, talk him into coming. And he's like, no, I don't give a shit. I don't care about the dinosaurs anymore. Fuck the dinosaurs, basically. For some weird reason, he's pretending that he's not interested. And she has to get mad and storm off. And then she says something heartfelt and he shows up at the plane. And then they go. And they have to explain why they broke up. And how, you know, you can tell they still like each other. It's like, all this shit is just so fucking predictable. Like, why do we even have to go through it? Why do we even have to go through... This movie's two hours and 20 minutes long. Just cut this shit out and have them be living in a cabin somewhere together, happy as fuck. Make the two characters very much in love with each other, hoping to start a family. Uh, just happy as shit. Hawkeye and, and, and his wife somewhere. Just just do that. We, we did this thing where they don't like each other, but they do like each other, and blah, blah, blah. And they're so different. They're the odd couple. Just, just, it would be so much easier to invest in both characters if they were just already in love. We don't have to go through the whole love story thing. It's like in The Mummy Returns. Probably it. Or The Mummy 2, whichever one that is. Probably an awful example. But when the movie starts out, they have a family. It's nice. It's cool. It's like a, their characters have gone places since the last film instead of just reverted right back to who the fuck they were. Except for instead of hating dinosaurs or, 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 uh capitalizing on dinosaurs she's loving the dinosaurs and he's still the exact same he's literally working on shit and she pulls up again it's like the same we get, he likes to work on shit he likes nature it'd be way cool if they did something else but anyway i gotta move on um what gets to the fucking razzmatazz what did i just say razzmatazz I should edit that out. I, the, when we get to the rad shit is when they go to the island and they hire of all people one of the army dudes that they hired to go and, and, and 
quote-unquote rescue these dinosaurs. Ted Levine. Buffalo Bill himself is the main army dude who just looks sketchy to begin with. Just because the guy does, and that's the way he talks. It's everything about him is, is sketchy and weird and, and dark. And would you fuck me, I'd fuck me. Um, that's him. So he's the leader of all these guys. They go over there with this big team, and they're like, you're going to have to do it, Owen. And he's like, I will. I'll track Blue, and I'll save everyone, and we can save the fucking dinosaurs. I don't know. It's dumb. But... When shit breaks loose, the special effects really kick in. And although you see some of these shots in the trailer, when I saw the trailer, one of the things I was like, ah, horse shit. Really? You're not even going to try to do anything different? Is when I saw that stupid rolly ball that they were in in the first one. You know, the one that they get inside and the T-Rex is outside. I'm like, it was cool the first time for the first few minutes. And then I was even sick of it in the first Jurassic World. So when I saw that in the trailer and, and everything else that was so underwhelming for, from the trailer... Worked out awesomely in my favor because I had very low expectations. It was the best way to go see a movie. I had very low expectations going in, and uh, and I, I, I that fucking ball just <laughs> that ball pissed me off, man. I, I, I did not want to see any more of that goddamn ball. Uh, it wasn't even that cool to begin with. So, but anyways, where was I? So when the volcanoes start going off, though, and the dinosaur action hits, there's a huge set piece that happens, and it is just balls-to-the-wall badass. There's a couple funny scenes with Chris Pratt trying to escape lava. There's there's um, some twists and turns in this scene. Everything just hits full-on level, fuck yeah. The dinosaurs are going crazy. You see a lot of this in the trailer, but for me, seeing it in the theater and having that scene expanded upon the way it was, there's just something rad about dinosaurs and lava at the same time. And dinosaurs and volcanoes just shoot. There's a fucking herd of dinosaurs. There's a bunch of volcanoes going off. It's Dante's Peak with dinosaurs in it. And it's just, it was just the, one of the cool scenes that I, in my opinion, will see all year at the theater. Like, it was just so fucking awesome. It was, there was something to me about that scene. And again, it may have just been the moment. I may have just been in a great fucking mood because I was hanging out with my kid and, and watching a movie in the summertime and eating the shit out of popcorn. But that scene was just so fun. And it was just a blast to watch. I mean, just it was it it was a heart racing scene in a way I would have never, ever expected to get from this movie at any point ever in this movie. And it was just really, really cool and fun. So uh, moving on from that, fucking Dante's Peak with Dinosaurs, man. <laughs> I, just, I loved it. Uh, the movie gets a little way down again for a little bit because we have to go through more exposition and there's a weird auction situation and then we have to go into the bad guys and why they're doing what they're doing. But in between, there's there's a couple really cool scenes. Specifically one shot when they're leaving the island. It was so T2. Like, it, it, it was a really T2 scene. You'll know what I mean. Like, I don't know why. That was just, it was so sad. It was so fucking sad. It's like when your parents drop you off to school and then leave you. That's how you feel. Um, or when the rest of your family has the day off of work and they you know, pick you up for lunch and then drop you back off and then drive away. You'll know what I'm talking about if you see the movie. But uh, there's a couple cool scenes, uh, small level scale scenes with, uh, with uh, one dinosaur in it where they have to uh, perform a, a procedure. And it was really fun. And I thought it was inventive. And it was a blasty blast, and it was involving, you know, specifically Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard and a couple of the other characters, which, by the way, the little computer guy, like, get the fuck off of it. There's an IT guy, and in the trailer, they purposely used him. You know, it's always funny in movies when a, when a guy does a girl scream. Like, I get it. I love guys doing girl screams. It's funny, but Jesus Christ, man. Like, that was, they, 
try to peek that as like the funniest part of the movie in this trailer and immediately it was one and another thing in the trailer that i was just like oh fuck that movie but this guy is just like constantly doing that you know in die hard five when bruce willis just ran around just going you know paint by numbers and he was just going i'm supposed to be on vacation uh, i was supposed to be on vacation today i was supposed to be on vacation there was this character even though he wasn't even fucking bruce willis or john mcclane he was just like an it guy he just ran around going oh my god i'm scared oh my god this is scary i don't like this I'm the wuss character. I'm scared. And it was just fucking constant, man. It's like, write better characters than that. It was literally just the most studio. It was Jar Jar Binks, man. Fuck that. I hated him. But the dude from uh, from uh, Captain America was in this, too, as one of the uh, one of the bad guys, Toby Jones. And he was super good. Jeff Goldblum's underused, but he sets, I mean, he sets the fucking scale. We'll get into that with the spoilers at the very end. But he really does, like, set the... He's not barely in it, but he sets the tone. And then he fucking just... He wraps it up in, in like, a great, great way. Uh, sure, he was underused for Jeff Goldblum. But it was still cool. You know, there's there's some bogged down moments in it. But the last set piece, man, is just cool. Like, there's a new dinosaur, and it's the Indorex... Or the the Indo... Indo it's, it's another new dinosaur. Like the Metaphorica fucking Rexia from the first one. An Indominus Rex, which is a great name for a punk band or your penis. But they create another new dinosaur, and he's not as cool as he could be. He's all right. You know, it's, it is whatever. He does this weird, like, shaky thing that reminds you of the, the raptors in the first one, uh, which were so fucking rad and scary. Not Jurassic World, but Jurassic Park. Um, he does this, like, weird, like, oh, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I wish you guys could. I'm glad you can't see my face. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's cool in those moments and they, they build him up. He just wasn't that cool to me. Like, I mean, the T-Rex is just, I don't need that much more. Like the fucking shark. I'm terrible at naming these goddamn dinosaurs. The little kid behind me was way better. He screamed at every fucking time one of them showed up. But the, uh, the water dinosaur, big fucking water dinosaur. Uh, it's cool, but this one just, it's whatever. Anyways, moving on. There's a lot of scenes, like one-on-one scenes. Like you saw in the trailer when, when it sneaks into the little girl's room and it's real close to his face it's never really pure horror but it's just very gothic in the way that he sets the stage like one this one point there's like an opera music there's like oh like not like that but way cooler and, and more insidious um going on in the back and, it, and there's a rooftop scene that felt like it was from the crow there's a cool scene where chris pratt beats the shit out of like seven people and it's just a weird random action scene that i it didn't fit, but fuck it. I wanted to see that. Chris Pratt just beating the shit out of people was pretty cool. He beats up like a whole room of guys on his way from point A to point B. And I liked that. I dug it. It was very uh, lethal weaponish in, in, in an old school action movie sort of way. But yeah, the last set pieces are kind of one-on-one and cool in that way. Whereas they're running from this dinosaur inside of this, you know, inside of this house. And the music and the stage, the way it's set up, it's, it's, it's gothic and horror feeling. And I dug it. Uh, one thing I fucking hate is there's a couple times in this movie where you get Chris Pratt up again in the corner against a, a raptor or some shit or the new dinosaur, and right when shit's just like really tense and you don't know what's gonna happen next, they do the same fucking thing like seven times where Blue will pop out and save him, or another dinosaur will pop in and the dinosaurs will start fighting. Like, how many times are you guys gonna use a the talk to the hand Chris Pratt movement and b the dinosaur fighting dinosaur saves human. Like, they did it so many times in the first movie, and they do it so many times again here, which sucks. But, my favorite part about the movie goes into spoiler territory. 
So I'll mention that at the end here after I give my score. Uh, but the way this movie wraps up, man, uh, it surprised the shit out of me. And it was inventive, and it was cool, and it was my favorite part of the entire movie was them kind of telling us what their ideas are for the next movie. And so I'm going to give Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom... First off, let me get, let me fix my score because I fucked up. Like a lot of us did, I feel like, when we watched Jurassic World for the first time out of Dino Sightment. I'm going to give that movie a 6. And I think, I don't remember what I gave it before, but I'm going to give that movie a week 6. Like, it was just decent to me. It was whatever. Upon rewatch value, it just <clears throat> sucked the life out of it. This one I'm going to give a strong 7.5 to. Um, and, you know, that's that's how I feel about the movie. So going into spoiler territory really quick. If you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled for you, um, I'll put all the times below or you can fast forward or however we end up working that out together, you and me. So, spoiler time. Whew. Um, the, the very end of this movie, by the way, is fucking rad. It is super rad. Because Jeff Goldblum goes in and he starts talking. The little girl, you find out that the little girl is a clone which is what divided uh, the two who created Jurassic Park to begin with, which you didn't totally see coming. I guess they telegraphed a little bit, but it kind of surprised me. Then again, I was like, okay, she's a clone, whatever. I don't... <laughs> okay. But they did all of this to set up this last scene where the prison breakout scene of the dinosaurs are all in there. And to protect human beings, uh, Chris Pratt and, and Dallas Bryce Howard have to decide, look, we, have to, we love dinosaurs. Oh, we fucking love dinosaurs so much. But, you know, some people love snakes. They're, they're snake lovers. And, and they wouldn't drop a box of snakes in a daycare to save the snakes. Because that would be fucked up. Because there's humans in there. So they're going to make the decision to let the dinosaurs die as the prison falls down around them. So as not to release them into the public where they could do real damage. And fuck shit up. But the whole point of the little girl's story. Minus maybe in the future them doing some... Some DNA fuckaroo between humans and dinosaurs, which I heard was an idea. Which would be rad as shit. I want to see human dinosaurs. <laughs> Who doesn't want to see that? But it, it does add a new scope to it, just in that alone. But for this movie, the point was, at the very end, the girl runs up while they have their backs turned. And you knew it was coming. She hits the button and lets all the dinosaurs free to, to just wreak havoc upon the world. The bad guy gets, gets ruined in a pretty, pretty rad-ass way. I dug how he got killed. Ripped apart. She lets him out into the world. And then she turns around with the line. They're like me. They're alive. So you could. Could. Maybe. Throw out some. Oh this is a social commentary. Yeah, it's. Uh, you could. I mean if you really fucking want to. Make people love this goddamn movie. You, you could argue that. I don't think they really. It's not. They haven't earned that badge. <laughs> but if you want to, you could say that they're they're pulling some 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 deep deep subtext out of this movie, and that's fun. But instead, it was just so she could release the dinosaurs, so that maybe we can go into clone territory later, and maybe we shouldn't eat animals. I don't know. You could take that a bunch of different ways you want to. I don't think that's where they were going with it, but they might have just stumbled into it a little bit and be like, "Oh yeah, I, she, that's that's what I fucking meant." <laughs> oh yeah. But what's so fucking rad and my favorite part about this movie is you hear Jeff Goldblum talking and he's doing the voiceover and he's wrapping up the story and I don't give a fuck about Blue. Like, they do this heart-touching, I don't give a shit. I just don't. They never can make me care about Chris Pratt and Blue. Like, maybe for a second when they were showing the sad videos. But it's a fucking CGI raptor, man. I, 
They're trying so hard to make Blue our boy, you know? It just doesn't work for me. But what's so rad, man, is that they show the world with all these dinosaurs inhabiting in it. And they're not just hitting them with tranks. Like, they have integrated themselves into our world. And the fucking sea monster's loose, and he's about to eat a bunch of surfers. And we're having to deal with uh, one of the lion, a lion and a zoo just face-to-face with a fucking dinosaur. And we're seeing all these dinosaurs get integrated with our world. And it was so fucking Planet of the Apes... I, I can't. It was fucking awesome, Planet of the Apes. It was more Planet of the Apes than fucking Planet of the Apes. The, today's Planet of the Apes. You remember back in the day, you know, Planet of the Apes would have it would be a Planet of the Apes, Return of the Planet of the Apes. The Apes would be on Earth, where where we are, or we'd be where the Apes were, or they kept switching it up and back and forth. Or the George Romero zombie films, they they would switch up our place and their place and the storyline and the political subtext and whatever they were doing. This felt, and it it doesn't reach any of those levels, okay? It's not that great, but it touched that. And that was so far out of left field for me. And it was something I so badly did not expect that I just, I dug the shit out of it. And I hope that this is making sense. I'm not saying that this is worthy of the the George Romero zombie storylines. I'm not saying it's worthy of the Planet of the Apes things. But it was a cool surprise. And I loved it. Because what they're saying is, is this movie's really setting up the next sequel, and we're going to have to live with the dinosaurs. We're not going to run around and catch them in New York City. We're going to have to learn to live with the fucking dinosaurs, you guys. That is such a cool idea that we've never, ever really broached in the right way. That I'm just fucking flabbergasted. It blew me away. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. What do you guys think about all that? Um, I hope that that makes sense and I'm not coming off like a crazy fucking idiot. Which I usually do anyway, so I'm cool with that if that's the way you want to feel. Uh, but that's the thing I was most excited to talk about uh, is how George Romero zombie film slash Planet of the Apes this ballsy ending was for me. And I'm now I'm probably going to hate the next movie because I went in with this one with low-ass expectations and I'm going into the next one with huge expectations because I'm really jacked to the tits for that one. So let me know what you guys think about that. But that's that's how I feel. A lot more thoughts than I thought I would ever fucking have about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Okay, so fine. Then say what you want to say then. Hey, Dad. I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying Okay, things. so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just f***ing say it. Don't you swear at me, you little Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? All right. So, Hereditary. This movie's weird. It's pissed people off. It's gotten people excited. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people think it's boring. Some people don't think it's a horror movie. Some people think it's great and refuse to call it a horror movie because they don't want to give it the respect that horror deserves. It's all over the place, man. And they even accidentally played the fucking thing in front of a kid's movie. Or at least the trailer for it. So, this trailer comes out and it's one of those, oh my god, people were passing out at Cane's or wherever. I think I think that was one of the stories. Uh, but people were walking out and people were just like, this is one of the most disturbing movies ever. It's the hype train. And what did we talk about at the beginning of the uh, podcast is that both these movies are all about expectation and they're all about what you want in your head before you go to see them. Like I had low expectations for Jurassic World, uh, ended up liking it a lot. I My expectation personally was this, I, I landed it right on the fucking money. Like I thought... A24, people are pissed, it's divisive, some people think it's scary, it's going to be slow burning, and hopefully, 
will have a fantastic payoff and, and have that underlying disturbing feel. It's one of those things that just catches you where it doesn't, right? Uh, the Black Coat's Daughter is a movie that fucked me up royally. Most people, the majority of people, just think it was boring and not scary at all. I mean, it had me like crawling up my couch. Uh, I was scared shitless of that fucking movie. I thought about it for days. It was my second favorite horror movie in the entire year that year. And some people just thought it was dog shit. So, these movies, the slow burn, creepy crawly, down deep, dark, and the, and, the, and the serious places of your stomach movies are divisive because they just do it to some people and they don't. And there's a group of people that are never going to find any of these fucking movies scary. Like, if it's not The Conjuring, if it's not jump scares, if it's not surface value horror, there is a percentage of people who are just not going to find it scary if it's not that. They're not going to look at it as a horror film, they're going to say it's stupid, they're going to say they lost their money, waste their money on it, you know? Uh, it just, this just is what it is, and that's fine, but I felt like I nailed my expectations going in. Uh, and I'm not one to say I love this cerebral horror, or I don't what do you call it? Like, it's unfair to call it hoity-tweety <laughs> horror, um, so to speak. But that, you know, oh, this, oh, it's a smart thinking man's movie. I'm going to pretend to like it and, and that anybody who doesn't just didn't get it. I'm not into that at all. Uh, I tend to, to in, end up enjoying the smarter horror movies, but I'm not always on that train. I didn't like The Witch. I thought The Witch was just, it was one of those that did not get up inside of me like it did for so many. Uh, the Witch just, it it bored me to death. I didn't find it disturbing. I kept waiting for it to, to become disturbing. And it just, I just didn't do it for me. And the payoff to me was just like, eh. Kill List, the same way. Some people love that movie. Uh, adore it. I thought it was just nonsense. But it just, I don't think it's that you get it or you don't get it. I think it's just that it, it reaches that place inside of you, that, that underlying frequency, or it doesn't. So... Hereditary did it for me a little bit on a surface value as well as that creepy crawly place deep down inside. So, you know, the movie starts and it's this family and you're, you're, if you're a smart movie watcher, you're trying to gather all the clues you can because you know at some point this movie's going to, you know, throw it into reverse and run over your fucking face uh, and you're going to have to piece it all together. So it's, it's this family and the grandma dies and this is spoilers review, guys. This is the hereditary thing's a spoiler thing. I'll stop right now at, before I give any spoilers and say my rating for the movie, uh, just so we can just get into it and just feel around. Um, if you haven't seen it, I recommend that you do. But it's been out for a while now, uh, so I, I, I give the movie uh, an an, an eight point five out of ten uh, because it's it's slow. It's not the typical horror movie, but it all connects, it all makes sense, and all the stuff before you get to the true horror, uh, in, in the, in, towards the end of the movie, which is a fucking 10, by the way, when they get to the horror, it's got some exorcist level imagery, and it's fantastic, but, and they've, they've built it up inside of you, so it, it matters even more, but the first half of the film is disturbing as a family drama, it just is, if you've ever seen someone you love mourn someone that they loved, if that makes sense. If you've ever seen a family member in grieving, in shock of grieving, 
that moment when they find out something terrible has happened. This movie will haunt you. And I actually put this on Twitter. I was like, go see this movie unless you've recently lost a loved one. Because I feel like it'd be really, really hard to watch if you just lost a loved one. Because there's a couple of scenes that are just, they're, they're very, very real. Um, and it's scary. And it's scary in a different way. But it, it's not pure horror, but it is horror. Um, and the sense of dread is there. The fucking A24 guy with the violin is back there slowly, you know, <laughs> scraping his fucking violin. Uh, there's creepy stuff that happens along the way, but it, it's just, it's it's underlying level horror until about halfway through, and then something happens that's horrific as fuck, and it's surprising as hell. Um, it it throws you off, and then you, you literally sink back in your seat, and you go, fuck, here we go. This is going to get dark now. Now it's time to, to you know, p- take your pants off, I guess. Um but it's not a ghost popping out, you know. It's not. Uh, it's not a typical horror scene. It's. It's. It's a real life. It's not normal. It's still fucked up, but it's a real life scene that that gets to you. But the way that the camera work starts right after this happens, you kind of feel like a, there's a ride starting, and that you're on the fucking ride, and, and you're you're getting taken to fuck down, um, and it's gonna get weird. And then you know at the end they hit you with the horror like a frying pan. But. Uh, yeah, I give it an 8.5. For you guys that haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you do go see it. Uh, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to like it. And I'm not going to say if you didn't like it that you're wrong. Because it just it does it for some people or it doesn't. I thought it was a, I thought it was a fantastic movie and it worked for me. But I don't blame you if it didn't work for you and you thought it sucked. I just, I, I don't. Um, but even the stuff that's not horror, it, it's very, very surprising. And it's very, very well done. And uh, I just, I... I really hated the way it made me feel and ended up really enjoying the movie overall. So it's different and we need more different movies out there. So on to spoilers. So you got the family and the the grandma just died. Tony Collette's mom has just died. And you just get the sense that everybody's like, she was kind of an old bitch. You know, like at one point, the dad who's played by um, Gabriel Byrne, uh, Gabriel Byrne's character, Steve, goes in to check on his son who's uh, um, Peter, Alex Wolf, and he's like, hey, are you okay? You know, do you want to talk? You know, your grandma just died. And he's like, I, I'm cool, Dad. And the dad's like, I know. Like, they both just had this moment of, yeah, she fucking sucks. I'm really glad I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. Um, you get the sense that she wasn't the greatest person. You just get it. And the only person that she was really close to was Charlie, uh, played by Millie Shapiro, who's fantastic in the movie. Let's just be honest, there's something about her that says, oh, you've got a fucking secret. There's something, she just has a different face. It's just not, it's not, I'm not saying it's it's bad or, or ugly or anything like that, but like, um, you know how Joaquin Phoenix just looks different. There's something about this girl that just looks different. So right there, you're like fucking pointing and you're like, you're gonna fucking, you're gonna have something to do with something. Unless you're just there to throw us all off. They're at the funeral. Uh, the little girl is being super weird. She is the whole movie, Charlie. And she's like, Who, who's going to take care of me? And, you know, Tony Collette's character, Annie's like, fucking me. What are you talking about? And then you find out later on that the only person who had a close relationship with the grandma who died was Charlie. And then later on you find out when uh, Tony Collette's in, uh, in grieving therapy, or wh- whatever the exact term for it is, is that she would never, ever let her mom around her son like she just wouldn't do it because you find out that 
and this is where the the word of the movie hereditary comes in, right? This is where we find out that uh, later on about Paymon and all that stuff is that there's something we don't know exactly what it is, but there's something about this family's bloodline that that is needed. It has to be someone in this bloodline to raise Paymon, who's the demon that ends up getting resurrected at the end of the movie. Uh, and that was the the first real clues that that took care of that for us. And then also she mentions, I thought it was weird though, that she mentioned that, oh, she lets her around her daughter. She let her mom around her daughter, who was fucking weird with her clearly because there's a, there's a miniature uh, architecture of her breastfeeding the kid. Like, not her kid. The grandma breastfeeding the kid. We're skipping a generational teat and going straight from the grandma to the daughter. And, and it's fucked up. Oh, in that one scene when she goes in the room after the grandma's died. Two scenes that were horrific and really fucked me up. Um, even though I didn't know what the hell was going on. Was that scene where the grandma's figure just arises in the corner. And you can just see that old bitch smiling the way she was fucking smiling. That was just, whoo, God. Like, so many people do that exact same scare and it's not done well. So, kudos to you, man. That was that was a really, really good, creepy, fucking awesome, just visceral scare right there. Um, and then another scene that got me was when they're at the funeral and the, and the kid looks at the dude who looks like Jared Leto from Fight Club in the corner just smiling at him with that big weird face. You're like, oh man, there's some, there's some weird David Fincher shit happening here and I like it. Um, but anyways, yeah, so you find out about her bloodline and you find out that her brother uh, went crazy and uh, I, it's been a couple weeks since I've seen him. I'm pretty sure he killed himself and uh, he was schizophrenic and he was dealing with all this shit and he used to say that uh, their mother was trying to put men inside of him, which is not a euphemism for, you know, dude's dicks. <laughs> He's talking about uh, uh, Paymon. Like, because you find out later on when the, when the reveal happens, of course, and, and when she's going through her mom's shit, that, you know, Paymon is, it has to be, it has to use a male vessel, and then it will bestow riches upon the family. And I'm, I'm sure I'm getting small points of this wrong. Again, it's been a couple of weeks. I was hoping that Jay would go see this and we could do it, but it never happened. So I'm a little rusty on it. But uh, that, 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 that little uh, therapy meeting was a big deal for, for Expose, uh, if you're trying to figure out what's going on. And then later on, um, when she meets Tony Collette, not fucking Tony Collette, but when she meets the chick from Compliance, Ann Rice, Ann Dowd, when she meets Ann Dowd, and you find out, of course, that Ann Dowd was, was actually, she was pretending to be at this therapy meeting so she could befriend her because she was actually part of her mom's cult where they were trying to raise Paymon together and her mom was like the fucking queen or whatever. So, uh, and eventually she, she tries to talk Tony Collette, of course, into the fact that she can bring her daughter back. Now let's pause right there and talk about the dead daughter because that scene was Gnarls fucking Barkley 5000. That scene was nasty. The kid, the older kid, whose mom is just an asshole to him. Like, literally, sometimes he wakes up doused in fucking, you know, uh, paint thinner, and she's holding a match. <laughs> Which you find out later on. I'm pretty sure the cult was doing all that to her, but they're just trying to lead you along. But they, he just doesn't get along with her. They're, they're fucking shitty to each other, and it, it only gets worse after what happens. But she makes him take, you know, her his little uh, weird sister to... Uh, high school party where all he wants to do is get laid and he likes this girl so he goes there and, he, and, he, and he, he ignores her and he smokes a bunch of weed and the little girl eats chocolate cake which 
what kind of high school party just is is doling out chocolate cake like that? That's kind of awesome. If it weren't for the weed and drugs and 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 sex and and alcohol going around, that would have been a wholesome party. But he gives, you know, she's in there eating the cake and she walks in. And she's like, oh my god, I'm fucking. She's she's allergic to, allergic to peanuts. I've never seen a chocolate cake with peanuts in it, but you know. It's a movie. Sometimes you gotta let the little shit go. She she starts to to swell, and he's taking her, and he throws her in the car, and he's driving really fast on these country roads, and it's a really really tense scene. And you think, is he gonna make it? Is he not gonna make it? She's not just gonna die because she again. It's like look at her. She's got something to hide. Um, and she does. At one point, she's sitting out in a fucking field, and the grandma's out there and on fire, and she's always walking around clucking like. And just doing weird shit. Um, it turns out that the the grandma had... Um, oh, shit. Is it the grandma that possessed her? Or did Paymon actually possess her? Like, I think Paymon possessed her for a time. But couldn't complete you know, his comeback tour until he got inside of a dude. But yeah, that's what it was. He got inside of Charlie. He was inside of her. Uh, but wasn't taking full control. She was still a little bit of her. But anyways. She sticks her head out in this intense scene. And... There's a dead deer in the road, and he swerves, and she gets her fucking head knocked off by by a light pole, and he slams the brakes, and there it felt so real, you guys, like it felt so real because he's sitting there and he's just breathing and he's crying and he's got like snot on his nose and shit, and you put yourself in his shoes and you're like, oh my god, oh my fucking god, like what are you gonna do next? And any movie can do that, right? Like, any movie can make an intense scene or, or a surprise death in Game of Thrones, the bitch. But what this does so special is it just makes it feel so real and wrong. Like, it hurts you. Um, it's just good direction. Uh, it's just good direction. And, and, it's, and it's a surprise. And it's just, it, it means everything to the story. It's not just a shock for shock's sake. It was great. Um... I hated it so much, but it, it was great. I was literally curled into a ball in my seat at the movie theater by my fucking self watching this movie. Curled into a ball with another dude like two seats away from me, and he was the same way, so I didn't feel that bad. It just felt wrong. Um, and the kid just drives home. He just drives home and parks the fucking car in the driveway. He's in shock, I guess, and goes upstairs and goes to sleep. The next morning, you hear the mom going out to the car. You hear her shut the door, and then that's this... This part got me. I, I don't know if it's because uh, I've I, I've been in an unfortunate position to see um, a woman who I loved in my life, my mom, lose someone and having to watch her deal with the shock of like screaming and then like crying. Um, this part got me because you hear the screams of this woman who just found, who just walked out to go to the fucking yoga gym or whatever and her daughter is in the backseat decapitated. Um, her head's not even there, but it's her clothes. He left the head on the, on the side of the street and it's covered in bugs and shit and they show it. It's gnarly. Um, but it's not just that he, his eyes open and and tears start to come out of his eyes and he realizes, I think at least in part that it's real. And, And then they show, uh, Tony Collette, even more than the scary shit, this scene sticks, sticks with me. When she's on her hands and knees and Gabriel Bryan's character is trying to hold her back. Uh, and I feel bad for him this whole fucking movie too. Because like he lost a kid too, you know. But nobody in the house takes time to be like, hey, are you okay? Like he's just dealing, man. And eventually it starts to take his toll on him. And you see him start to take sleeping pills. Because he's not only dealing with this. He's dealing with his wife going fucking nutso. Um, 
But I felt terrible for him. But anyways, he yeah, he's holding her and, and she's screaming and she's screaming bloody murder. She's screaming, "I want to die, I want to die, let me die!" Uh, and 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 just crawling at the floor. And it's just it is it is heartbreaking. Um, it is really heartbreaking. And Tony Collette deserves an Oscar for this movie. She absolutely fucking does. She's amazing the entire time, and she made it feel so real. Like the whole thing, she made it feel real. Um, but Anne Dowd's also a fantastic actor, and when she and when she's grieving over Charlie, she comes into contact with her, and she befriends her, and then uh, eventually she says, "Hey, I lost somebody too. Uh, I think it was her grandson." And she says, "I can contact him in a séance, and I'll show you how." And then she has to talk her into doing that, and then she shows her how it's done, and then Tony Collette goes home, and she she brings the dad and the son and she's like hey look we can talk to charlie and she's like losing her shit and by this time finally gabriel byron's like no fuck it you're fucking crazy i'm gonna punch you in the face if this continues like you have to stop um but eventually he gives in a little bit and it's just it's it's another heartbreaking scene it's a freaky ass scene because she just loses it at one second you you don't you really don't know what's going on as a viewer here and it's really really scary and she tricks her into saying this ritual into doing exactly what she wants, uh, and she, and she uses this to to I think to to bring out Paymon, um, but again, Paymon cannot enter the body of Steve because he's not a part of the bloodline. It has to be a, for some reason it has to be a part of that bloodline, and it has to be a male. So the kid Peter is the obvious choice. But stuff goes wrong with the stayons. Everything gets fucked up. Really freaky scene. Really freaky scene. Paymon uses this strength that he's gained from all this, or she, Paymon's a she, uses this strength that's been gained from all this to kill Steve. Uh, by use, There's the scene with the fire in the book. He has just enough strength, I think, I think, to kill Steve. And then eventually to take out Tony Collette. Because you see her die in the most vicious of ways. It's just, it was really the holy, holy shit boobies uh, moment of the whole film for me. When Tony Collette's character is fucking... Fl- fucking floating and she's playing seesaw with this rope in her neck and she's got the rope inside of her neck and she's floating going back and forth with it cutting her own head off with what i think was a rope slowly and her head jerking back and forth each time fucking hell just make it stop just make it stop that was so fucking minus the people fucking floating around in general every time someone floats or is upside down on the ceiling of this fucking movie i swear to god um, the imagery, dude, it's done so well, and it's it's so earned, and 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 you get enough of it. In my opinion, you get enough of it. It's not one of the, it's not like the witch to me, where you just didn't get enough imagery to match what you saw. You just got a bunch of naked chicks floating at the end of the movie. Again, I know they were floating, but this was one shot versus a whole lead up of crazy shit, like a like a car wreck down a hill that just keeps rolling, like shit just kept happening. Um, and she, while all this is going on, at some point, the kid turns around and there's just a couple of fat naked dudes with their wings out. Just standing in the fucking, uh, I think it was the attic. And that shit was scary. That felt like the scene, I haven't felt like that about old people since the scene in Paranormal Activity 3 when um, the, the, uh, the, the, the coven, uh, the, the, like the three old ladies were in the, in, in the garage chasing that dude down. That freaked me out. Old people scare me. Sorry, I don't know if that's mean or not, but they do. And just this, these dudes just stand there with their dicks out, and it was such a, it was such a good shot. It wasn't like a jump scare. He just watched his mom cut her own head off with a fucking rope, and then he turned his head, and oh hey, we're some fat guys, naked. Um, 
maybe they weren't all fat, but all I could remember was just uh, like a big gut and a dick. <laughs> and once you see that, it just kind of throws you off. But the kid takes off fucking running, and he jumps through a window. And then you see this light that you've seen a couple times in the movie. I think I think you saw it before when maybe uh, Paymon was trying to make the entrance. Um, he dives out the glass door, and you're like, is that going to be the end of the movie? Not the glass door, but the window. He dives out and hits the ground. And you're like, is he dead? Is the, is, are the credits about to come up? No, the light goes into his back. And then you see someone fucking float, and it's just, dude, it freaks me out the way they floated. They floated up into the treehouse that you've seen people go to several times in the movie. And um, he goes up there, and his parents are, their decapitated, decrepit fucking bodies are, are perched into this worshipping stance. And, oh my god, there's just... There's so much happening. There's a whole room full of people worshipping this this weird Paymon statue. And then Ann Dowd's character basically explains what happens. And she's talking to Charlie. She's calling him Charlie. And she explains that through... It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a demonic ritual turducken. It's... <laughs> It's true. I'm not fucking with you. It's 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 true. Uh, only John Madden could have written this script. So Peter is possessed by Paimon. Paimon is one of the eight kings of hell. Is worshipped by the cult of Paimon. The grandmother, Queen Lee, and the cult's followers, led now by Ann Dowd's character as her as her top person. Um, you got the parents there that are decapitated. They're addressing Peter. You see Peter. They're addressing him as Charlie. Because uh, he also has the sister spirit inside of him. And, and Ann Dowd's character tells him that the Trinity, you know, the, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, has been destroyed. And now Paimon is here to reign from hell and bestow his riches upon them. And there you go. F- fucking nuts. Now this is going to happen to all of you. To everyone, everywhere. The demon's here. And he's going to fucking kill us all. <laughs> I'm sure it's not as far as they were going, but uh, it's just a creepy story. It's creepy in that continuous sort of way. Like, I wonder what would happen next. This isn't the kind of movie that's going to get a sequel. You know? Could you imagine Hereditary 2? That'd be fucking weird. Um... I would like to see eight hereditaries personally, and I would like to see the origin story of all eight kings of hell. That's just me. In a different time, that would have happened, but this movie takes itself too seriously for that to happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's an 8.5 for me. That That's the way I put together what happened in my own head, even though it, it took me a minute to get there. Um, but I just thought that ending was so full of visual panic and and and, and fear and darkness that it was a payoff for the slow burn that came before it. And I thought the slow burn that came before it, it wasn't bad. It was interesting. And it was fantastically acted. Uh, it's not something I want to necessarily look forward to experiencing again. Because it's hard to watch. It's not an easy film to watch. Um, but th- that ending was just tied together so well. And it had that horror event fun feel to it. And that's not a way you're going to hear anyone explain this movie. But for me, the last act had that event horror feel to it. Like... Oh my God! Shit keeps happening. What's gonna happen now? I just I miss the um, I miss the staleness 
uh, in the plot that a lot of people saw and the boringness. I was truly invested in the characters. It made me feel sick to my stomach, even when it wasn't uh, playing around in the horror genre. Uh, it was doing more of the, the mental drama, which can it, it is horror as well. I'm just talking you know, in generalities. But I, I, I loved it. Um, I would love to know what you guys think about it. So comment down below on uh, both Jurassic World and Hereditary. This is probably a stupid-ass stupid, stupid -ass thing for me to do by myself. It's like... You know, I'm gonna do a video. I'm gonna do a podcast uh, on some movies that Jay hasn't seen, so I can't do it with Jay. I'm gonna do it by myself, and I'm gonna pick two movies that uh, everybody's pretty much divided on and give my opinion. So, you know, eat my fucking face off in the comments if you want to. I, I totally, I will not, I won't argue with anybody. If you thought that this movie sucked shit, good for you. I mean, not good for you. That sucks. I wish you would have liked it, but. Uh, if you thought Jurassic World was the worst fucking movie ever, uh, you're not alone. A lot of people think it sucked shit. So, uh, I liked both movies, but I, I totally understand why people don't. So, that's that. So, uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm going to do this from time to time, guys, because, you know, Jay's not that uh, not as into going to see the newer movies as I am. Like, I, I like to go see, like, I'm going to go see Sicario this weekend. Um, movies just they're an escape for me I'm, I'm super fucking busy and if i can find that two hours in a week to just go to a movie by myself or you know with someone i love or um or whatever it's 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 a great part of my week like i love it so you know yeah i, I do I, I write reviews and stuff sometimes but they they take so long and there's a certain way they have to be formulated and it's just um nobody ever it's so much easier to, to get a conversation started uh, via podcast or video. And I, and I feel weird doing the videos alone. So podcasting seems like a really cool way to do that. Um, so I hope you guys dug this. I had fun doing it. And um, we will do it again sometime. I love your fucking faces. And as always, if you're new to the channel, click that subscribe button and get some goddamn wham opinion. <laughs>
With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.